0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast, where we analyse the Star Trek universe from a non checky perspective. I am joined by one of my usual co-hosts, Matt.
1: Hello, guys.
0: There is no pool today because football may be coming home, and you know that's important commitment. At the end of the day, like you know, it's like you know this is the non checky podcast when one of the uh, one of the hosts has gone astray to go and watch the footy at the end of the day so there you go <laughs> this may
1: but... be a recurring thing unless we get knocked the fuck out
0: <laughs> it, it could be it could be we've got we've got a dream for england to lose so Paul for the benefits the of podcast. fellow
1: trekkies england need to go down <laughs> <laughs>
0: but in the meantime we have a very special guest to fill his shoes for this episode it's cam from the spy hards podcast hello sir
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me so much. I'm excited to talk all about Enterprise. I think we can all agree, the greatest of all Star Trek shows. I mean, undoubtedly. (laughs) There is no dispute about this It's taken this long for us to
1: find a champion for Enterprise It's been about Mm. three years since I've watched an episode, so it feels (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
0: you know, Enterprise is clearly the England of Euro 21
1: (laughs) It's
2: a surprise winner (laughs) I'm actually being facetious, Uh, Enterprise isn't my favourite The original series is my favourite, but I have a real soft spot for Enterprise So I'm always excited to talk about it
0: Okay, so it was not It was not you on the SpyHards uh, account who was casting aspersions towards the original series today on Twitter.
2: Definitely not. I would <laughs> never cast aspersions on anything to do with the original series except for maybe the alternative factor and probably the empath. I think those two episodes for sure. That seems fair
0: and maybe a few others as well. So Cam, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? You have your own podcast, SpyHards, which both me and Matt have been on uh, to talk about Men in Black International. Tell us a bit oh. about uh, your podcast.
2: Yeah, so SpyHards started, um, sort of, it has a Star Trek connection because my co-host on the show, Scott Hardy, Agent Scott as he's known on the show, uh, we met at a Star Trek convention basically 10 years ago. And at the time, I had been running a Star Trek podcast of my own called Subspace Transmissions and Scott would pop on every year. He would be our correspondent whenever we would talk about the convention because we'd always record live in hotel rooms there. He would send in voicemails and all that and we'd talk basically almost every day on WhatsApp anyway. But at a certain point during the pandemic, it kind of became clear we needed something to do with our time. <laughs> we had too much time on our hands and so Scott had always wanted to do a podcast and approached me and said, hey do you want to do a podcast? Do you have any ideas? And one thing was, Scott and I always talked about James Bond stuff. He would do a rewatch and then text me back and forth and we would break down all the movies. And initially we were kind of just edging around doing something James Bond, but there's so much competition in the James Bond podcast world. James Bonding is one of my favorite podcasts. And it's also limited. There's like 25 movies. There's some unofficial stuff, but how much can you really do? So we decided on Spy Hearts where we could tackle Obviously, James Bond, but also do Mission Impossible, Johnny English, even, you know, obscurities like Little Drummer Girl or the Flint films. You know, there's just so much to dive into. So that's sort of how it got started. I
1: love that Johnny English was the next franchise you pulled after Mission Impossible. You got Bond, (laughs) you got Mission Imp, you got Johnny English, baby. Hello. This is Intelligence Headquarters. Remember when I told you the only way you'd become an agent was if all the other agents were dead? Well, put some bloody clothes on and get over here right away. Thank
2: you, sir. You're unbelievable. Johnny English. (laughs) I I wanted to throw something in there that was like not necessarily be saying like Born, Mission Impossible. (laughs) I wanted to throw in one that a a few people perk up three years ago. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay.
0: (laughs) There's three Johnny English films now, isn't there?
2: There are indeed. I've only seen one.
0: <laughs> oh my god. But um yeah, and you get to space out the Bond films at the end day, because you you haven't actually done that many, have you, so far?
2: We do one entry every eight episodes. So uh. We've recorded all of the Brosnan films. We are up to, I think, Thunderball in terms of the Connerys. And so that's the way it'll be just going forward. Every eight episodes, we get a Bond thing. And we also like to do interviews with writers, directors, actors, when we can, because the pandemic made a lot of talent very available with their time. So we'll see how that is going forward. But we are hoping at some point to lock down someone related to James Bond to come on and talk as well.
0: Awesome, awesome. Who have you... How do you say you've had some... uh... Some cool guests. Who have you
2: had on? Well, we had Nicholas Meyer. So there's your Star oh, Trek that, connection. Well, that, that's
0: pretty wicked. That's pretty. That's a good start.
2: Yeah, Nicholas Meyer. I, I guess we did have sort of a Bond person. He did an uncredited um, sort of couple of days of problem solving on Tomorrow Never Dies. And um, yeah. he came on to talk about that. We, we were shocked he was willing to... To actually pop onto the podcast, and I just don't think anyone had ever asked him about this. It's not something that's really publicly known, and he just did a couple days of problem solving on the villain, because I couldn't figure out the angle on the villain, the Jonathan Price character in that film. Um, so we had him on. We've also, we haven't released them yet, but we've got episodes coming up with the writer, one of the writers on the Charlie's Angels film, uh, films, both of them, uh, John August. Um, we've also got both the writer and the director of the 1998 Avengers film with Uma Thurman and uh, Ray Fiennes. Mm, wow. wow. So yeah, that one, I think we have kind of cornered the market on behind-the-scenes anecdotes on the Avengers. Um, so that's coming up in the near future. But yeah, we try to, when we can, get writers on because everyone wants actors, right? Actors are always the ones that are big and flashy to put on uh, episode artwork. But actors are often kind of the last to know. Whereas when you ask writers, you know, how did the story turn that way? They're like, let me break it down for you. Here's what I had in mind. So I find them fascinating mm-hmm. to talk to. And I think that's something we've made a point to really chase down when we can. So, yeah. yeah. John
0: August, that's a big get. I mean, he is, yeah. a, he, he is a very kind of accomplished uh, writer at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, like he did a lot of Tim Burton films. Um, he wrote the Aladdin remake from a couple of years ago. So he's someone who's very much working in Hollywood right now. Yeah. Um, once again, like Nicholas Meyer, I was wondering, how did how did this guy agree to show up on the show? I have no idea. Mm, yeah, <laughs> especially like with <laughs> um,
1: uh, script notes as well. Like big, That's the most premier screenwriting podcast out there that he's been doing for years. So that's, uh, yeah, in, even in terms of just a podcaster, he's, uh, you know, outside of his writing, he's a uh, big get there.
2: That's great. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. no, It was a really fun episode, and I'm looking forward to people hearing that one.
1: That is
0: really, really awesome, man. It's a great podcast. We really enjoyed coming on that one for Men in Black International. Not so much the watching of the film, uh, (laughs) but the trashing it with you guys was really, really fun. That was it. That was a really great episode. So yeah, we've been wanting to get you guys both on uh, separately to kind of talk some of your favourite Star Trek once you told us you were big fans because you met at Star Trek convention. I believe you're talking about the Las Vegas Star Trek convention, Yeah.
2: Yeah, it used to be called Star Trek Las Vegas, but now that they've lost the CBS affiliation, uh, now it's known as, I think this year, the 55 year mission. I guess next year, the 56 year mission, and so on. But yeah, we would meet there every year. We just met through circumstance, just he was kind of a friend of a friend, and uh, that's just kind of the way it rolled. But that has been our go to. We have about 10 friends that we all meet up with every single summer when we can outside of a pandemic situation. And we spend, you know, eight or nine days together just hanging out in Las Vegas. So it's an absolute blast. Cool, man. Yeah, I mean, we,
0: we are very jealous that we love Vegas and we, we'd love to go. Funny enough, this is something I don't think we talked about when we went on SpyHars. Being that you met at the Vegas con, did you get to go to the Star Trek experience at the Hilton in Las Vegas before it closed?
2: I didn't. Scott did. He went when he was really young, like a teenager. I didn't go to my first Star Trek convention in Vegas till 2012. So by then it had closed down. I missed it just by a couple years. But boy, I know it looks and sounds incredible. I wish I could have gone on it. Oh, man. It's proper it.
0: gutting for us because me, Paul, who isn't here, and Matt all went to Las Vegas in 2007. And we didn't go. We didn't go to the Star Trek Can you tell me it was,
1: it was around then? Like it was- yeah,
0: yeah. It was still, we've, we've been over this before in terms of it was still open. I'm
1: sure we have.
0: And to this day, I totally believe, because I, I think that Paul was at that point in his life where he was really trying to play down the Star Trek. <laughs> because out of all of us, Paul is the one who was the biggest Star Trek fan before we started this podcast. But, he, but he'd been lapsed. he been lapsed. And I think in 2007... Uh, you know, he was like, you know, his early He was playing, in his like, years. Yeah, I think he was really trying to play down ever being connected with Star Trek in any way. So I don't think he would have piped up. I, I, the thing is, I'm convinced that Paul might have snuck off in the middle of the night to go to <laughs> Star Trek. Experience. Or, like, you know, he'd secretly, like, just wanting to turn around. We, we were going like, hey, let's go to that strip club over there. And, like, and Paul was just like, he's not. <laughs> I just literally couldn't quite say it for fear of being ridiculed. And now, of course, we wish you all had, because it would have been amazing. We
2: probably all loved it. It's Such crushing, yeah, that I didn't get to do it. I mean, Scott and I wandered off to see the funeral home from Diamonds Are Forever um, a couple of years ago in Las Vegas, but... Unfortunately, the Star Trek experience, uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the funeral
0: home from Dials of Forever or the Star Trek experience. So, which one would you choose? So, I mean, Cam, talking about that and how you didn't make it to the Star Trek experience, how did you first get into Star Trek? What was your first Star Trek experience and everything like that?
2: So, I was someone who very much tested out the waters for Star Trek for a long time. It was the run up to the water, put my toe in, and run away. I remember when I was a kid, I saw a commercial just advertising a rerun of the episode Arena. And I was a huge Star Wars guy. I loved, you know, the bounty hunters, Bosque, particularly. And I saw the Gorn on the commercial and was like, I have to watch this. And I think I made it like 10 minutes into the episode and was like, this show's boring. This isn't like <laughs> Star Wars. But then it would be like teenage years. I had friends that were convincing me to watch the TNG movies and TNG and as well as the original series movies. And so I had a friend who had all the VHSs and got me to watch all but the first. He told me not to watch the motion picture, but I did two through six and then the TNG movies. And it was always like, yeah, these are pretty fun. And I would try to watch TNG and be like, no, 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 this is not for me, not for me. But when the J.J. Abrams movie was coming out in 2009, I kind of got on the wave of hype for it. And I decided, you know what, I was at this point going to university and I had a lot of free time on my breaks, for example, between classes. And so I said, okay, I'm going to give the original series a shot. And so I went and bought season one on DVD and I would go on my lunch hours in university and sit and watch an episode, you know, just in the, it was a very sad university experience. I want to get that out there when you are going to university, you know, and sitting in the lunchroom by yourself, watching episodes of the original series on your laptop. That's not the university experience you should be aspiring for out there, (laughs) but I enjoyed it very much, and I fell in love with TOS, and that, you know, I burned through TOS in no time, and then I, uh, my friend who I do the Star Trek podcast with, I met him in journalism school, and he said, you should really try DS9, and so I said, okay, and I went and bought up DS9, and it just kind of went from there, so going to Star Trek cons early into really my um, TOS experience, I went to my first Star Trek con in Vancouver in 2010, it kind of just kept me motivated to keep going, so I went through DS9 and fell in love, and just starting the podcast then with my friend in 2014, it just fired me through, you know, Voyager and Enterprise animated series. So to this where I sit now, I have seen every episode of Star Trek that exists. I made it to the end. It just took a long time to get there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, I mean, yeah, you're doing better than us, mate. At the end of you've seen every episode of Star Trek that exists. But if you got a favorite, if you got a favorite Star Trek thing, you said it's the original series. The original series is your favorite,
2: right? Like, I'm a big film fan, and there's something about the 60s Star Trek that feels so cinematic. And it obviously had much lower budgets than something like even, you know, a Discovery or especially when you compare that sort of thing. But even, you know, you look at, at, at it next to TNG, it had less money than TNG. But the world-building they were doing on that show is incredible. Just the imagination they come up with on often very thin budgets. It's a show that I just find captures sort of the adventure and just the color of a sci-fi world that I really want to embrace. I love DS9, I love TNG, um, you know, nothing against them whatsoever. But I would rather hang out in that 60s Star Trek world. It just seems like there's excitement coming at every turn. One of my favorite things to do when I was working through that series would be to watch the preview for the next episode when I finished the one that I was watching. Because you never knew what was going to happen next. You know, you'd finish an episode and be like, okay, well, that was court-martial. That was a really entertaining episode, but what is next week? And it's something really crazy with, you know, unbelievable visuals, alien makeup in the trailer that would make me go like, I can't wait. This is so exciting. So it's that genre-hopping. The spirit of adventure, just the high spirits uh-huh. of the original series, that just keeps me coming back over and over. It's the one, the series I've watched the most. That really is
1: the power of episodic storytelling outside of like more serial-based shows. Like I, I think, I think we've said this before, where you know a lot of modern TV goes really hard on the serial stuff, and you forget how much um, episodic stuff can bring out that sense of adventure. You're right, especially back then. You know, us kind of seeing it as kids in a certain era and then people back then seeing it as kids in the 60s. Like, I can't imagine what it would be been like to have been like, wow, that gave me something I had no idea what to expect. And next week could be literally anything else. You're telling me anything else could happen in this universe um, that they're setting up? This is fantastic. And I've, you know, it's hard to think of shows these days that do that same thing. Because even when you look at stuff like *The Mandalorian and Star Wars going on, onto TV now, it's like, you know, it's still very serialized for the most part i think the mandalorian does hit a good balance actually of standalone stories but it's still you you know you know a lot more what to expect now than i think definitely back then and yeah there's something about the kitschy 60s-ness of it all that just added to it in a really fun way it's uh yeah it's so fun so charming
2: there's a sense of yeah. discovery to it like you know you look at on spy Hearts, we do the james bond franchise as you said And it's that same thing where it's kind of, in some ways, outsiders building something Mm. and discovering it as they go. And there's so much excitement to those early Bonds, to early Star Trek. Also, you know, you can even make a correlation to the Marvel Universe, where those guys weren't like your typical Hollywood studio. They were people who were just like, we don't really know the rules so let's just write our own and that's so much fun to watch and you see it on the original star trek you'll never see it on a discovery or a picard you see it a little bit actually i think i think lower decks is doing it the best but by and large when you're an established franchise you don't have that freedom
0: yeah i mean uh yeah original series for me i mean it's, it's that thing of course it's got the benefit of being shot on film so to me it still looks great yes of course there are with with the effects themselves uh, there are some dodgy ones and stuff. But number one, obviously, if you watch it on Netflix, it's the kind of remastered versions <laughs> where they've CG'd up the shit. But also, because it's shot on film, they can do this beautiful HD transfer of it. The colours are so kind of pop art style, garish and stuff like that. So it just looks so visually uh, sumptuous in many ways. And I think it still just looks really interesting. And just, yeah, I mean, the original series... I always come back to it as being the one where, like you say, so you talk about the trailers. I've watched some of the trailers for the original series episodes, and they each go, they go, next voyage on Star Trek. So it really feels like it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's going to be a whole new adventure, a whole new voyage. You have no idea what's going to be coming next. And, you yeah, know, we've talked so many times, until you watch season one of the original series, and they really are just laying down these iconic sci-fi ideas that are going to be, like, re-packaged time and time time again in other Star Trek, other sci-fi shows for, like, you know, the next 50 years. Uh, And I think that's still really amazing to watch.
2: Even the end credits on that show, you know, you get the just the flash images of all these really exotic, cool-looking aliens. And I remember watching the show being like, boy, I can't wait to see what that is. Like, there's just... I mean, think of the other Star Trek shows, you know, including Enterprise, which we're going to, you know, break down today. But think of all the aliens you've met on all those shows, TNG onwards. They do not stick in your mind the way that even, like, the smaller, less, you know, recurring aliens do on the original series. They can have, like, the brains from Gamesters of Triskelion. You'll never forget it once you see it. But you'll see a random alien show up on a TNG episode and, you know, it's out of your mind and, you know, (laughs) by the time the episode airs, really.
0: Yeah, 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 100%. But today, of course, we're not talking about the original series. We are talking about Star Trek Enterprise. So Star Trek Enterprise, we have not touched upon on this podcast since 2018. So when we started this podcast, we went through all of the films first. And then we did a series of episodes where we got a big fan of the particular Star Trek series we were talking about. To come on and kind of introduce us to the show, we watched the pilot, and then they handpicked an episode for us to watch. Um, on that episode was Greg Locke, who uh, joined us, who's been uh, one of our most regular guests, who's been on three times, and uh, we watched the pilot with him, and he chose Damage from season three mm. to watch, and we we watched that, and um, we have not touched upon Enterprise in terms of actually watching episodes since that episode 2018 we have had some guests on who have been involved in enterprise and stuff like that but yeah we haven't actually watched any episodes i did continue to watch some enterprise episodes afterwards dip through my own research i watched a bunch of episodes from season one and two and actually ended up after kind of enterprise was probably the one at the time i was most lukewarm on until of course lower decks came along when uh, that took over <laughs> completely from like oh wow take your hatred <laughs> away sir <laughs> um it, like i actually end up getting quite into enterprise watching episodes by myself yeah i actually find myself really getting into it as it went along i think at first it kind of it takes a while to find its feet but once you get there's an episode in season one where they visit like a vulcan temple and then they find out mm. that actually there's, like, a hidden, like, Vulcan, like, lab, like, below the temple. It's, it's, the religious, kind of is all kind of, like, a front. It's all bullshit. And that was where things started to get interesting. There's some really great episode. There's a great episode in season one called Dear Doctor, which focuses on uh, Dr. Phlox, where... He, he kind of, like, has to basically choose to let this entire, like, species, like, die, because it's the way, the natural order of things, are the way it should go. I know it's like a controversial episode, like Tuvix is, kind of thing where, you know, the characters do something that's quite non-heroic for the kind of greater good. But I really liked that. was really interesting. Um, so, I, yeah, I do like Enterprise. I have kind of got more into it now. But, uh, Matt, I am presuming that you have not watched one IOTO Enterprise since we last covered it on the podcast.
1: Well, I'm just looking, and it appears that I have now seen five episodes. So oh, <laughs> we're talking okay. two-part pilot, Damage, yep, all damage. from that same episode. Today's episode... This episode that
0: we're talking about today.
1: Yeah, and Shuttle Pod 1 I went and did, which at some point must have oh, come up, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Shuttlepod 1. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I remember, because I think it was directed by David Livingston, who uh, has was one of our guests on the podcast, uh, the most profilic director of Star Trek ever. He's directed more Star Trek episodes across the board than anyone else ever, and he directed that episode. I seem to remember he was saying that's one we should watch. Uh says it it's kind of like a little play in uh, many ways. It's the one where uh, Malcolm Reed is like going junkardly about to pour. She's got a nice fucking half of the thing. Yeah, I remember quite enjoying that one. But yes, so, you have to see, so basically, yeah, 2018 was the last time we covered any Enterprise. So it's been a long road. Get it from there to here! To return to Enterprise. But, Cam, you have picked the episode to talk about Twilight from Star Trek Enterprise, Season 3, Episode 8.
3: UPN Wednesday, a stunning new Star Trek Enterprise. In the blink of an eye, Earth, their greatest fear,
2: destroyed. How could it have happened? We could have saved them.
3: And who will pay? You are relieved of command. The Enterprise you must not miss.
0: Why did you pick this episode, sir?
2: Okay, so, yeah, when I went into Enterprise, like, seasons one and two are pretty rough. Like, there's some really strong episodes, but it's rough. It kind of feels like when they're figuring out DS9, for example, fairly early on. It just kind of has that vibe. Season three is where everything starts to click. The Zindi War arc across season three is incredible. And um, I knew I wanted to come on and talk about... An episode that is really strong that I think embodies what Enterprise does very well. Because a lot of people would say, well, that's nothing. Enterprise is the worst. But I actually think when you tend to look at a lot of the great episodes of Enterprise, they very much center on T'Pol. I think that's a character that is very underrated. One I would love to see back in the franchise. Jolene Blaylock, I think, is very, very, very wealthy, I think, now. I don't know that she has any interest in doing more Star Trek. But nonetheless, like I think that character is kind of the heart and soul of that show. And this was the most interesting one, I think, of the dynamic between her and Archer. Another character, you know, Archer's another character that gets a lot of shade thrown at him as, you know, he's often dubbed the worst Star Trek captain. And I feel like this episode embodies the best of both of them and sort of communicates why this show works so well, at least for those that really love it.
0: Why's Ginny and Hawk got lots of money? Not from this show, I presume.
2: Oh, well, she married, um, it was like a um, tech billionaire i think oh wow okay. um so she you know they have two kids or something two or three kids i don't even know how many But she's living a great life don't feel bad for jolene blaylock but i just right. think the likelihood of her deciding you know i want to do two or three episodes on star trek picard or something seem kind of unlikely at this point
0: yeah i mean and also it's that thing of like you say kind of unlikely that i think they'd be inviting her battery because like you say enterprise it's like and this is no shade On her, Enterprise is just not, you know, the the show of Star Trek that's the most well thought of, is it? In terms of, like, you know, they they want the characters that are going to have kind of the marquee value that people are, like, going to go, oh, yeah, we know who they are. Like, the Qs and Seven and Nines. But Twilight, Season 3, Episode 8, written by Michael Sussman, uh, who wrote 12 episodes of Star Trek Voyager. He had his hand in 23 episodes of Enterprise. Uh, he wrote uh, Regeneration, which is the Borg episode of Enterprise, which was again directed by our pal, uh previous guest, David Livingston. And I, I really like that episode, Regeneration, from season two. That's a really good, exciting kind of episode. Uh, he also wrote the Mirror Universe 2 part uh, of Enterprise in season four, which mm. I know is meant to be good. He, I kind of had a look at what else he'd done kind of like over the years. He's kind of written episodes here and there of various different TV shows. Not a huge amount. He wrote an episode of the 12 Monkeys TV series. Not, not, not loads of credits after. It's mostly Star Trek. Um, it was directed by Robert Duncan McNeil, who, of course, played Paris in Star Trek Voyager I didn't really know this about uh, Robert Duncan McNeil but he has mostly become a TV director uh, since playing Paris in Voyager he actually directed four episodes of Voyager he also directed four episodes of Enterprise but since then he's directed episodes of Dawson's Creek, Montree Hill Desperate Housewives The O.C. Las Vegas uh, (laughs) a show that we watched in prep for Girl, Las Vegas (laughs) Uh, Supernatural, The Mentalist, Blue Buds, Orville, cashed in on that Star Trek cachet for that suits. He directed fucking loads and loads of TV. That's all those so, all those classic noughties,
1: well. uh, noughties shows straight through. I mean, wonder if he can make yeah. a comeback in the in the way that Frakes did in getting to direct modern Trek as well. Like That's it. Get it all in the family. Just I love this on. kind of habit of actors in long-running shows like these, especially around this time, like late 90s, early noughties, becoming TV directors, because it makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're an actor in a show that has 24 episodes a season, you know, you're living and breathing that set. You're getting to see how it all works. And it's always the way that actors who do break out and become directors if they started in a long running show whether it be a sitcom or a drama you look through their thing and they ended up you know having had directed at least a few like it happened so many times like listen to the the scrubs rewatch podcast at the moment as well and Obviously, Zach Braff did Gun, State, and then some Scrubs episodes. And I think it happens all throughout ones like that as well. It's only... I think it's the rare one where there's a big, long-running show, say something like Lost, where, you know, the actors don't often get involved in the director's chair because it's so led by people like Jack Bender and real stalwarts. But a lot of these, they do tend to break out. And, of course, then you get actors who... Well, maybe known for actors first, I'm thinking like C. Buscemi doing The Sopranos and stuff, you know. So a lot of people like dipping back in and doing these.
0: I almost feel like it'd be part of their deal to like return like in a later season, you know, when they're kind of renegotiating and be like, well, I want to direct an episode because they want to kind of spread their wings a little bit like that. And obviously it keeps them interested. So, Twilight, has anyone got a kind of little uh, little plot description? Matt, you're usually on this.
1: Yeah, so this episode sees Captain Archer get involved in this accident that affects his long-term memory. So he is relieved of duty of Enterprise, which leads to them failing this mission to stop, you know, to stop this attack from the Zindi, which results in the destruction of fucking Earth itself. Real attention-grabbing kind of pre-credits there with this um, big, huge planet destruction opener. It's like JJ stepped in for a moment there. And then it kind of, you know, cuts to like years later and and the remnants of humanity have settled Battlestar Galactica style in various places. And Dr. Phlox eventually stumbles upon a way to possibly cure Archer's condition, which would involve it kind of affecting it in the past as well. So it becomes a bit of a heavy episode on stuff like, you know, about stuff like memory and time and everything. And yeah, they discover that if they can cure this thing It cures it through the timeline And so if they can do it completely Then perhaps that will alter the course of history Because then Archer would not have been relieved And maybe things would have gone differently On that fateful day
0: Yeah, it's proper timey-wimey uh, Isn't it, this episode Really kind of quite heady I, I kind of, like, about halfway through I uh, wrote on my uh, notes Star Trek Memento but Yeah, like, same here uh, yeah, <laughs> Memento really cool. but Star Trek <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it really feels like the Star Trek take on Memento.
2: It does. It also feels like they're looking at All Good Things, the finale of TNG as well, which also had the older captain who has a neurological condition having to go back and revisit the crew he hasn't seen in some years. Where are they at now? It has that sort of vibe, but played as more of a, you know, obviously All Good Things is like one of the most epic episodes of Star Trek that exists. It was one of the all-time great TV finales, whereas here... It's just like, let's just make a super solid, I think really excellent, hour-long, edgier seat story, but very much informed by character dynamics, in this case, you know, Archer and DePaul. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's a really good pre-titles, like Matt said, like, you know, it's, it's very arresting you're immediately like what the fuck is going on that almost feels a bit like (laughs) crimson tide at the start with like you know archer being (laughs) kept in his kind of room and everything but yeah he knocks someone out to get out of his room then kind of goes to the uh goes to the bridge and yeah it really is quite shocking like you know seeing that and i um there's that weird like almost like cg kind of revolving kind of planet killer type thing uh, that comes on. I actually thought the CG on that was quite
2: good. The CG on Enterprise is not bad. It's actually, a lot of it has aged quite well. It is weird, I find though, when I look at older Star Trek shows, that they often look better than some of the CG I'm seeing on Picard or Discovery.
0: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? When you look at TNG, like the remastered version, like they didn't actually change any of the effects for that, they didn't like make them CG or whatever. But you look at them; you they look so amazing, like in that kind of HD transfer. You almost like I remember when I first saw, uh, watched TNG on like Netflix. I think I even said it on this podcast. I think I said, "Oh yeah, they've done a really, really nice job of kind of remastering those effects of like kind of going back and kind of making them CG." And Paul was just like, "Oh no, they haven't. They they did that on TOS, but not on TNG." And it just looks that fucking good. Just looks that amazing like, you know, the ship and stuff like that, that you, you think that's the case. But they that, that's their thing in terms of, like, it's the practical, isn't it? Like, you know, for me, the practical effects always mm. age better than that kind of early CG, mm. uh, which often looks like dog shit. But, yeah, like I say, that, that actually looks quite cool. Um, And I actually kind of, I mean, it's, it's weird. I, I found this episode quite discombobulating, like, the structure and everything like that, because you have that opening and then kind of you come back. And then it's kind of suddenly he's older and Paul's older and she's kind of, you know, saying, what, what was the last thing you remember? And I thought when he she said, oh, what's the last thing you remember? He was naturally going to go, oh, when I came onto the bridge and we saw the earth been destroyed or, or whatever. Because that, to me, like in just a writing way, that's even the natural thing. Because we've just seen that as an audience. So it kind of feels like the natural thing for him to say. But he doesn't. He goes like, oh yeah, this thing. And so we go to a completely different time when him and T'Pol just walking along having a chat. I'm like, oh right, so how do we get to that bit, you know, and then we're going to presumably lead up to that. But we're already in the future now with, with T'Pol and old Archer. So just kind of like, how are those two things going to connect? I mean, considering this is all done in one 42 minute episode, it's not 2 parts or anything like that. Uh, there's, quite a, there's quite a lot of kind of plot and kind of beats to kind of get your head around, I
2: think. There are, and I think one of the genius things is, so often, you know, in uh, any sort of show, you don't get the sense of ramifications when there's these sort of apocalyptic stakes. And this is, as you said, a 42-minute episode where we cut to 12 years later, and we get to actually just see, you know, Archer and T'Pol living a life... After the destruction of Earth and, you know, Mars, I like that Mars is always doomed, judging from Picard, you know, a handful of years later. Mars, things aren't good there. Don't move (laughs) to Mars. But, uh, you know, you, you really get the sense of, in what, like 10 minutes of just what their lives are like now and how these destructions of these various colonies and planets have affected them. Yeah, it's like the Avengers Endgame (laughs) of Enterprise,
1: (laughs) because we we get to see the snap happen of all the planets being wrecked and then have to deal with like a time jump and, you know, how can we go back and fix this? In fact, that's it. Avengers Endgame ripped
2: off Twilight. (laughs) Although this one actually undoes the catastrophe. Endgame's Mostly keeps the snap idea, like we have the people actually having that five year distance. Enterprise yeah, yeah. hits this the old whole, reset button, on clean it, wipe. Yeah, mm. mm. yeah. I mean,
0: this is very much one of those classic episodes of a sci-fi show, which which we've seen done. Like, I mean, it's like you compare it to all good things, and that's that's very true. But I mean, I've seen it done in loads and loads of sci-fi shows of suddenly we're with the characters like older and the way they age him up is they give people beards like him. They've given uh, Malcolm <laughs> Reed a beard in this. there's just show he's he's meant to be older. and it's that thing you get to see kind of all the characters you love get killed and stuff like that. and it's kind of like I've seen that happen oh, but for some reason, I really love that trope or at least I really did when I was a kid. I really got off on episodes like episodes where they were like making out, like all the characters were like dying and stuff. Like you know things like uh, Buffy, The Wish, All Good Things, like Red Dwarf at a time. Like well you know you know these characters yeah. aren't dying, but it feels like the end and they're all dying. Oh, the Cyborg episode of Space Free that all well, the characters get flown
1: away well this is the thing it's meant to only be like 12 years later right so presumably all these characters are in their late 20s early 30s anyway so it's we're just looking at them in their late 40s and they're like i've gone gray i've got some wrinkles." you know I, I, I did quite like the aging effects be- because they didn't go to the extreme of like slap a load of prosthetics on to make you look like a old lady basically you know it's it is just surprisingly subtle, especially for TV. It's not that distracting. Like it, it, it works. It works for me. Yeah,
2: Some of the actors look crazy. better now than they did in this episode. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't go crazy. Like I say, it was, it was weird. It almost felt like because uh, on the actual bridge, I was like, oh, read. They've given him a beard to show that he's older. But then, like, you looked at, like, Trip or so, He just looked like exactly the same. <laughs> like, I, I was just like, it was almost like the makeup team yeah. just gone in and gone like, oh, I've only got time to, God um, go, on, go. Like, they go.
2: No they put some, like, grey accents. There were some grey accents in his hair. But also, like, he was, I think, in many ways, like, the heartthrob of the show. I don't think you want to, like, ugly up the uh, heartthrob. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
0: and um, it is this like virus, isn't it, that's kind of infected him and everything like that. That's what's causing the issue. Uh, apparently, it was kind of inspired by Alzheimer's uh, they were trying to emulate in this episode. like and that, that whole thing, like I say, so I, think, I think the concepts and ideas in this episode are really quite heady in that kind of timey-wimey Stephen Moffat kind of way the whole thing about, yeah, when you're kind of talking about the thing of, oh, if we cure it, then he will never add it. So that, yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting.
2: What's the problem? Our engineers won't let us continue with the captain's treatment. Those were my orders. Look, I'd do anything to help the captain, but we've got bigger problems at the moment. This may be the only solution to your problems, captain.
0: Destroying these parasites
3: is most likely the key to saving humanity and Earth.
2: Earth's gone. This image was taken a few minutes ago. You can see the region where I eradicated the first cluster of parasites. It's gone in this image as well. This scan was taken over 12 years ago.
1: The cluster has disappeared from all the scans I've taken over the last 12 years. It's as though it never existed at all. By destroying the organisms in the present, we appear
2: to have neutralized them in the past.
0: We know they're from another spatial domain. Apparently they also exist outside
2: of time. If we can eliminate all of the parasites, it's possible. The captain's infection will never have occurred.
0: They're really throwing, like, you know, a lot of kind of stuff at the wall in the episode, definitely.
1: Yeah, it is another, like, concept-heavy idea. It feels like we've talked a lot about episodes that are anchored by a really strong concept that then, you know, the sci-fi show that you're in is able to explore really interestingly. I think with this one, it's that it naturally falls to a lot of just people kind of explaining things back to Archer because of his memory thing. So they kind of counteract a lot of that by having a lot of other action here like including the destruction at the start and a lot of other you know cool action beats throughout actually to kind of counteract the fact that otherwise it is essentially people summing things up for Archer in the uh, in the future and just talking through things. It's a good mix of kind of talkative, contemplative Trek and the little bursts of action in episodes like this that feel that they only had the budget for every every so often. Well, yeah. then you
2: think also about how a lot of the um, high concept episodes on Star Trek are very much plot focused. You know, it'll be some sort of time loop or something. And that's very much a structural mm. story. Whereas like here, because it's Archer dealing with this loss of memory, it all works in character. It has a heightened intimacy between the characters because they are having to relate to him on very human terms and get him through this ordeal. It's not like we've got to get around the computer and figure out how to solve the time crisis. That's what I really like about this one is, you know, you have these depressing briefings where T'Pol and Tripp are kind of talking him through the events of the day and whatever. And Archer's throwing ideas he's already thrown out many times before, but you can see they're doing it because they care about him and actually want to help him in what ways they can. That's something you don't get in a lot of the high-concept Star Trek stories.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like fifty first Dates with Archer in the Drew Barrymore roles. Like, uh, <and> they're <laughs> having to get out the video to be like, oh, explain who you are today to watch that. Kind of like, yeah. we know, right right and, down to um, her
1: kind of hinting that she's fallen in love with them a bit as well, even though it's essentially just like mm. falling for somebody you're a carer for by the end of it. So it's a bit like, okay... <laughs>
0: Yeah, the while you were sleeping
1: effect. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got
0: to say, I've got to be honest, I wasn't particularly convinced by the Archer to pull romance, personally. Like, I mean, having not seen all of the show, I don't know whether they ever have any other romantic interest in each other. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether that's <laughs> that's the case or not. But I I, I don't know, I'm just quite I'm not quite convinced about it. Maybe it's, um, I feel like there's definitely like, an age difference between Bacula and her because he was already kind of an older star by that point. She was presumably very young, or so looks it. And yeah, I just, I it just feels to me like a bit kind of eh, like I buy her and uh, I would buy her and trip like more, like you know they they've got a kind of uh, a sexual flirtation, kind of you know, because they're both like the sexiest people on the show, kind
2: of thing. Well, the thing about I think Enterprise is what makes it really effective is that it has that serialization throughout. It's not necessarily sticking to ongoing stories the way that, like, a Discovery does, but it keeps a consistency in characters. So, like, there's very much growth from episode one onwards. And, like, you guys did Broken Bow, the uh, yes, yeah, yes, the premiere yes, uh-huh. of Enterprise. Archer and Paul are not warm in that episode. And that's much of, like, season one, is that these two don't see eye to eye. They often have conflict. And... By the time you get to an episode like this, to me it feels so earned because we've watched the thawing of that relationship and we see now that... I think Jolene Blaylock plays that moment You know, we talked about brilliantly where she says, you know, our relationship has evolved. Because it doesn't actually indicate it is a romantic or sexual relationship. There is a heightened level of intimacy that did not exist before. And I think that's really important because that's something that, going back, the show was building to a moment like that. It doesn't feel like... Some of the more episodic Star Treks, they would throw that in, then the next week be kind of forgotten about, you know. You have the Worf Troy romance, for example, in season 7 of TNG, which you get a couple episodes, no one ever mentions it ever again when you get to the movies. <laughs> like, whereas, like, here, T'Pol and Archer are two characters who, like, you said Trip and T'Pol have the real sparks. The show definitely follows down that road. But I think the thing about both Archer and T'Pol is... You look at their role within Star Trek. He is the first Star Trek captain. He is the one that is going to lay the foundations for the Federation. She is the first Vulcan to go and serve on you know, a human Starfleet vessel. So they are very much trailblazers. And I think the show, over time, establishes the connection of these two... ...who are going to become the most important uh, members of their species. And that sort of brings them together in a very intimate way and has a bond that doesn't follow typical hollywood here's the romance you know these two obviously love each other the show keeps it very respectful but i love that jolene blaylock plays it as there are feelings attached to this mm, okay okay
0: yeah i mean i think this also comes out of needing to see more episodes from the later seasons of enterprise because the majority of episodes that i've watched thus far have been from season 1 and 2 and I know that everyone's kind of general opinion is season three and four are the kind of, you know, the better seasons of Enterprise, where it really finds it its feet. And although I've really enjoyed some episodes of season one and two, they feel far more kind of individual. Whereas I know season three and four, you're getting more into the arcs, more into the character arcs and everything. Like that. So I, I I guess I'll pick up on far more of that and the kind of fouring of the uh, T'Pol-Archer relationship as it goes on. So should we move on to our final final thoughts on the episode?
2: Yeah, um, so I, I think, like as I said, I think what makes this one so special is the character dynamics. And there's a few moments, I'm not going to lie, this is not a perfect episode. I think in terms of high concept, um, I think it probably does it better than Enterprise ever does it again. I think it's the best of the high concept Enterprise episodes. I rank this near the top of my Enterprise rankings. The Mirror Universe, actually, two-parter, is really up there as well. But there's a couple of moments I'll just point out, you know, it's very much 2004 or 3 or <laughs> whatever this was. You have, like, uh, my one of my favorite... There's a couple gender moments we should maybe highlight, like uh, when Archer goes back to the ship and, hey, Reed, you're a captain of the Intrepid now? Awesome. Does everyone get to command their own ship? And Hoshi's like, not me, captain. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. And then, <laughs> poor Hoshi, she's so disrespected. And uh, And then, you know, at the end where we have the... You know, Paul, you'd have made a wonderful nurse. <laughs> it's like, um, this is one of the most important Vulcans, like, in the history of Vulcan kind. Like, can we not give this woman more yeah, respect? Like,
0: you would have made a hell of a nurse. Shit what are you doing
1: now, love. Get
0: the fuck off my fridge. Well, yeah, well, is it implied that
2: at the end he remembers?
1: Does he remember everything that happened? I don't think so. Because I guess so. his whole thing I is think his he's memory just is screwed making a anyway.
2: connection. Yeah, and nothing against nurses out there. Believe me, they do far more important things than I do in my day-to-day life. Just that the show is very much um, painting it as, you are very good at taking care of yeah. me. Yeah,
1: because the implication <laughs> being that if yeah, he yeah, does yeah. remember everything as well, then he knows she's been looking after him for 12 years and still has the gall to say, yeah, you would be a good nurse. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no shit, she's been looking after your yeah. ass for a decade. Yeah, I don't think this is an inner light
3: style no. episode, is it, where
0: he he's gonna remember everything that happened or everything like that. He doesn't get a flute out or anything.
3: Anything else? No, that's great. You know, you'd make a wonderful nurse.
2: For me, the intrigue works because it's the high concept stuff, but I, I really enjoy the way Phlox is brought into this and the way they have to smuggle them onto the actual nxo one to try to repair his memory. And it ties in all the, basically all the events are go- that are going on during the Zindi War at this time. All the reptilian Zindi attacks and everything are all tied into this. So even though it is a, you know, reset button episode, it feels like it still has that urgency of that entire season long arc.
0: Yeah, I like Flocks. Interesting character for me. I think he's I think he's really mm-hmm. good and really well played uh, by John Billingsley. Uh what do you think, Braves?
1: Yeah, no, this was a fun one. Like I said, it's a good mix of kind of high concept character moments and action altogether. You know, even if by the time they get to the point of, you know, Flocks just essentially walking in and being like, "Oh yes, I've I've worked it out. We have got to do a thing." And then when they realize you know doing this will have ramifications through the timeline, and it's just kind of like oh yay it's gonna work here's the thing, and then they have to add an one extra wrinkle of you know the attack going on at the same time, which is a clever way of giving more stakes in the finale. But yeah, I mean I think because you know I haven't seen the, I haven't seen much obviously, and I think this what I felt from this was the feeling of you know just Bakula just not being that good enough actor to sell a lot of this, unfortunately. Like, I think I need to sit with him a, a bit more because it felt like...
0: Oh, fucking hell, shots fired. I mean, he's bachelor. good but Jeez. it felt like
1: as the like, anchor for this, like the idea of, you know, somebody waking up in the future and realising, you know, he's failed and planets are destroyed. You see a bit of it but he just feels a bit too placid because I was just imagining somebody like Picard in the exact same storyline and like the amount of like rage and like guilt and loss that he'd be able to sell and I think you know that's I guess that's a semi-unfair statement because obviously the characters are completely different and uh, I don't know enough about Archer to know kind of how he sits and deals with things but it felt like in from me coming into this that's a purely like plot element that that main character there was reacting um a little soft a little soft I think but he has great interplay with T'Pol throughout of course and yeah, and I like the kind of ramifications of everything as it goes on. Um, this would be... This, yeah, this has been a good interesting, an episode to discuss maybe with Dr. Dean Burnett when we had we had him on chatting uh, sort of brain tech and things. The idea of, you know, if you... Yeah, that's if, very if, true. If you, that's very yeah, true, if, yeah. If, if, if you have a kind of time anomaly parasite in your head, what's the science here for erasing it and having it go each way through the timeline? That's a really interesting idea of, you know, if we can do something now in the present it will backfire back. But then I guess it opens up a kind of crazy multiverse theory of like, you know, at what point does it stop happening to stop new branching timelines out? I guess from the moment it hits him, which is the point they want to go back to. So that's cool. But, you know, there's a lot of a lot of cool ideas here and a lot very well executed as well. And yeah, special shout out to essentially a proto iPod uh, ipad at the end there that he's watching rosemary's babies on i guess so he gets given uh because <laughs> I, yeah, I thought
2: have, i thought they wouldn't have picked that <laughs> movie nowadays <laughs> i thought she was handing no, him no. like uh
1: like a dvd or something but then he does sit there and watch it like an ipad so i'm like wow that's pretty that's pretty good going star trek well it's i have just, a question actually for you yeah. too
2: you know you mentioned picard when you look at the other star trek captains whether it's kirk cisco Jane They're very specific personalities, but you guys have only watched a small mm-hmm. handful of Enterprise episodes. I'm just really curious what your takeaway is, you know, four or five episodes in of Archer. Well, yeah, you go
0: first one, because I've watched some more than you have.
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm still not
1: even sure, to be honest. I mean, I, I do need to watch some more because obviously Shutterpod 1 isn't very heavily focused on him, from what I remember. And yeah, I'm intrigued to see kind of how he deals with the ongoing storylines that crop up for our enterprise but in terms of like uh, you know who he is as a person and how he deals with things as a captain you know not all that clear on so that did make this an interesting episode to watch at this point seeing him get removed from Judy and kind of having to deal with seeing you know his replacements and, and the frustration he does portray of you know being told to basically just sit around and stay out of the way basically you know oh yeah you can walk your dog here and there and, um, you know, yeah, I didn't know enough about him to know how much that would rile him up, how much he would accept that, whether he's the sort of guy to to acknowledge, you know, the greater good for the crew and, and deal with things that way. So it's interesting to kind of see one that finally, you know, for me, an episode that finally is kind of focused very much on his psyche and his psychology.
0: I mean, with Archer, I, 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 yeah, like I say, I do want to see more of those season three and four episodes because I really feel a lot of his character development, certainly on like the darker side, kind of comes in. certainly having watched Damage, um, you know, I feel like he's showing some real darkness in uh, that episode that maybe kind of we don't see as much earlier explored, and that's that's interesting. I mean, I do think uh, you know I've seen Bakula and some other things at the end of that. I do think he is a good actor. I think sometimes I feel like he was the wrong casting choice for this show. In terms of, like, sometimes I feel like... Because all the other Star Trek captains before this weren't really huge stars beforehand. Like, they all had their own kind of reputations and stuff like that. But, like, you know, obviously, P.C. was a respected Shakespearean actor. <laughs> Catherine Mulgrew been um, uh, Mrs. Columbo uh, in the spin-off series, <laughs> something like that. But Bacula, he already had a massive hugely popular cult sci-fi show under his belt in Quantum Leap. So he was already kind of an iconic TV icon in many ways. And I kind of just feel like that was the wrong choice for this series that was meant to be, you know, so kind of going back to the beginning and certainly should have been Rora from the start. Like, you know, I always think like Enterprise should have been more like something like Battlestar Galactica, the remake uh, I'm referring to, rather than the original, where you feel like the ship's fucking falling apart, and like it's all very antiquated, and you really feel they're fighting too for now, like every episode, just to survive out in deep space. I always felt things were too comfortable in Enterprise like, immediately, like and then obviously they kind of challenge them later on, In the late seasons like when you see damage and stuff it feels more like i would have wanted the show to be from the start so yeah i always felt like like i said i think he's indicative of those choices of like he feels almost a bit too a bit too tv hunky a bit too smooth right from the start kind of thing whereas maybe they should have picked someone with a little more grit to them or or just allowed him to have more grit to him so i'm sure he was capable Uh, of it but I think you know that that comes down to kind of direction and the way they're kind of you know telling him to be as a character you know like I say, there's definitely uh, definitely getting more intrigued by Archer as I watch more so I do definitely want to watch more and see see what happens but in this uh, I mean I I I do agree with Max slightly in the sense of you know obviously it's easy to compare uh, something like this to the inner light or something like that or, or good things from TNG and obviously, Patrick Stewart, you know, is kind of, you know, giving it his all there and really, you know, really go to town in that kind of Shakespearean kind of way. And, he, you know, we, we've seen so many great episodes of TNG with, with G with PNG really emoting big time. And I, I kind of feel Archer... Always feels slightly too cool for school. Like he's a bit unaffected by. He doesn't seem to seem that bothered when Paul gets like blown away. (laughs) Like in this, really. And um, yeah, like I say, I wasn't really convinced by their romance. I think it's a really. It's it's a funny episode because I'm a lot of the concepts and stuff like that. I think are really interesting, but at the same time, I feel slightly detached from it. Not fully emotionally engaged in the adventure and I don't know whether that's from not knowing the characters as well or just it not being quite performed as effectively because you know I have watched random episodes of DS9 and TNG before I saw too many of them really been hooked in it's definitely a great a great concept and there's some interest there's a lot of interesting stuff in there I it maybe if it had been a two-parter, there would have been more more time to kind of get into everything, I think. It's an odd one for me. I do mm. I did get some stuff out of it and did enjoy it, but um yeah, it doesn't quite doesn't quite connect with me mm. maybe the way the way I want it.
1: Where does this one kind of rank for you, Cam, in, in all in all all of uh, Enterprise? Do you kind of have an
2: idea? Yeah, it's upper tier for me. Like this is probably a top ten episode. It might be a top five. Uh, it's right up there. There's oh, another okay. actually Jolene Blaylock showcase episode called Carbon Creek from season two. I consider pitching to you guys. Carbon Creek is one about uh, T'Pol's um, ancestor. So as played by Jolene Blaylock, but I thought it'd be better to do one more uh, mm. you know, on branch for the show. But that's another really great one. And I just really find when you tend to go through the highlights of that show, they tend to be tied to the T'Pol character. And Uh, You guys touched on it earlier, you know, it seems unlikely they'll bring back a lot of the Enterprise crew, because when you throw them up in promos for your new show, a lot of the audience doesn't really care. Uh, And I feel like we might get a Scott Bakula appearance, because it's Scott Bakula. Yeah, that feels the most likely,
0: because he's a star anyway, yeah.
2: Yes, but T'Pol to me feels like the most important character in Enterprise, and it's one who I think... You could so easily work into Star Trek stories that take place, you know, the years after this show. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's totally possible. And um, yeah, like like I say, I mean, you know, with with this episode, it's no slight on the show uh, to say, you know, I wasn't as blown away by this episode. Perhaps uh, you were because there are episodes of Enterprise I've seen which I actually prefer to this one. I think it's just this one not connecting with me as much. Like I say, say, uh, Dear Doctor, and the episode I was talking about the mm-hmm. Vulcan temple, I think I prefer to this. I just found them more... Kind of, I, th- I found those episodes really interesting in terms of they were more leaning towards, I think, what Enterprise could have gone for in terms of the slightly more DS9-y uh, <sighs> vibe of kind of, you know, real shades of grey in the characters and stuff and the, and the world. Uh, they're exploring. Um, so, yeah, it, it, but it definitely um, urges me on to go back mm. and keep watching some more Enterprise because I
3: want to get yeah. to those season in, in three terms, episodes. In definitely. terms of
1: some of the other rankings, uh, back in 2014, io9 ranked this as the 33rd best episode of Star Trek uh, out of over wow. out of the seven hundred oh, wow. of the over 700 ones made at that time. So, yeah, this is pre-discovery. And in 2015, what culture ranked it as the 27th best episode of all time of all Star Trek? In terms of just enterprise, yeah, recently 2021, the digital fix said this was the best episode in season three. Uh, something that exec producer Manny Koto has also said about this episode. So yeah, it is uh, does is well regarded.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, it's obviously considered very highly. So I mean, you know, maybe. Like, you know, if I go back and re rewatch this one uh, later on when I've watched a lot more Enterprise, maybe it will vibe with me more. You know, maybe it's that familiarity with the characters uh, that kind of makes it kind of resonate. Uh, so maybe I have to go back.
2: Well, maybe it's a little bit like, um, you know, listeners will probably know this. Um, the episode say like His Way from DS9 where Odo and Kira get together. Like, great episode, but if you watch it in isolation, doesn't mean much. Probably not. Like, maybe Twilight is very much informed, like, on going on that, you know, three-year journey with the characters to get here. Like, maybe that is incredibly vital.
0: There are a lot of fucking shows where you, sh- if you showed, like, one of the best episodes to someone from a later season, that they might go, yeah, that's a good episode of TV, but it's not going to resonate with them the same way that it does you, a massive fan of the show, because they just simply not got that level of investment. So, totally, yeah. So... Can tell us where we can find you online and your podcast as well. I don't think I actually knew that your Star Trek podcast was still going. I think I thought that was something you'd done in the past and kind of closed the book <laughs> on. But it's 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 still it's still it's still up and running. Still going?
2: It is still going. Uh, yeah, that Subspace Transmissions. Um, it's been going since twenty fourteen. We do episodes every week, and we have never broken that schedule. We I think wow. take one week off around Christmas. Around the Christmas, New Year's, we'll have a one week break. But other than that, yeah, it's been just charging through. And um, we've done a number of panels in Vegas as well. So uh, if, you know, one day when things are better, (laughs) we'll probably be doing panels in Vegas again. But yeah, so as for me, you know, Spy Hearts, uh, the spy movie podcast, can be found anywhere you get podcasts, or you can find us on social media at Spy Hearts, um, S P Y H A R D S. It's super easy to find. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Cam V is in I don't know Victory Smith. And
0: with uh Social Stage Translations, what, what what's the angle on that in terms of with Star Trek you just or is it just whatever, you just do whatever you feel like, or do you
2: have like a theme or Okay, so when we started, it was the idea was we didn't want to just do episode reviews, like just because You guys are doing it. Like, there's a lot of podcasts that do it really well. And we just thought, you know what? Like, let's take an angle that seems more us, I guess. And so for us, a lot of it was we had a real sense of humor about Star Trek. We liked making fun of episodes. uh, And we just noticed a lot of people were very (laughs) academic. And this is back in 2014. There was a lot of Star Trek podcasts that were a little dry. And so we said, okay, we don't want to do that. So we always say we're tackling the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. So... We do, you know, we've covered the movies, we've done all the two-parters, and we do ongoing coverage of Lower Decks, Discovery, Picard. But when we're not doing that, we're doing more topics like, um, well, I said we did the Jonathan Frakes as Star Trek ambassador episode. We've done ones on, like, we've done some really crazy ones. So we've done, like, musical moments. We've done um, holodeck hookups, you know, (laughs) characters having romances on the holodeck. Uh, We did one even, a really interesting one I thought, that was pitched as a joke between the two of us, but we actually turned into a pretty fun episode called Irish Stereotypes in Star Trek, <laughs> and how Star Trek has all these weird Irish stereotypes they constantly bring up. So we just find angles on the franchise week to week, and lately we've been doing rankings of supporting characters, lead characters, villains, all that sort of stuff as well. So we just kind of hop around just to keep ourselves entertained, really. Amazing.
0: So you've actually done proper panels at the Star Trek convention, what, for the podcast?
2: yeah,, uh, we didn't um release them as actually recorded episodes. We did more. They were designed as actual panels. Wow. so we did ones on the evolution of storytelling in Star Trek. Um, we did one about interesting films or other works on the famous actors, you know, filmographies, like, Avery Brooks, what has he done that's also really interesting that we could tie to maybe the character he plays on DS9, that sort of stuff. We tend to just basically sit down and be like, what's visually interesting? What's different from other panels being done at the convention? Mm. And the most
1: important question, of course, um, what's your stance on lower decks?
2: I actually really like Lower Decks and what I've enjoyed about it. And it took a few episodes, I think, for them to manage their tone. It was so lightning fast. Those first few episodes, you're like, I don't know what I just watched. It was like a hallucination. Once they kind of get there in like episode four or five, I think it's just having a really good time with the franchise. And it's working in so many references that only fans are going to get. And even there was been a few that I've had to look up because I couldn't even remember what they were from. But it just feels like it understands its characters really, really well. Like, the dynamics right out of the gate are set up very strongly, and it's having fun with the type of Star Trek storytelling we yeah, don't get. I in. agree. You know, Discovery and Picard are these serialized arcs about mysteries we figure out long before the characters do. Um, <laughs> whereas Lower Decks, you know, the, the characters' journeys in terms of their inner lives may be serialized, but the stories hop around more and we get that variety. So that's what I'm And the best theme tune
1: it. this side of... Uh,
2: <laughs> of- all of them right yes. hands down I was we actually just Enterprise, watching yeah. we're doing <laughs> yeah the Enterprise one. Oh, that's hey they wanted Beautiful Day by U2 so you know they were what always going did square they?
0: Did they, they wanted Beautiful yeah. Day by U2 why yeah. <laughs> I mean what, it's funny isn't it because I say why as if the song that they did choose had more to do with the Star but it really doesn't actually. Well, nothing beautiful says day Star Trek like just Bono. just as appropriate as the song they used do- I'm, just trying, to imam- I'm oh. just trying to imagine, like the Enterprise, a beautiful
3: day.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, if you go on YouTube, I think fans have put together edits of that opening title. set oh, wow. to Beautiful day, but um, do you know the origins of the song they used on Enterprise?
0: I don't think so.
2: No, okay it was actually a Rod Stewart song from the soundtrack for Patch Adams
0: <laughs> what the actual song ended up being and they re-recorded it with is it Russell Watson who yes. does it yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So, so what that is on the Patch Adams soundtrack but Rod Stewart singing it so I'm gonna to, <laughs> correct yeah, yes. I'm going to have to look that up now maybe it'll play, maybe on, Roger, a play it maybe the second hand song Jesus <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 oh my god from Patch Adams we I mean, need the Patch Adams,
3: well. Adam's song it's such a bizarre idea and they're not going
0: Or something. It doesn't sound as good as classic Watson <laughs> season one.
2: <laughs> well, it's it's got like uh, more of like a country ish vibe. Yes. The first uh yeah, the first two uh seasons remind me more of like the Aerosmith song in Armageddon. That's what I think of yeah. in terms of the vibe they're going for, and it is that Just that era. Diane Warren, I think, wrote the song and she was doing so many ballads and action movies in that era. And that song and the "YouTube Beautiful Day, it feels like (laughs) a bunch of middle-aged white guys in a room being like, what are the kids into these days? Because a lot of what with Enterprise they wanted to market was like, this ain't your daddy's Star Trek. Star Trek's sexy now. They were like advertising decon gel in the commercials. They're like, hey guys, Star Trek is sexy. And you can tell these guys were like, what's sexy musically? you too and rod stewart
0: <laughs> hey well you know rod stewart he's written a whole song about being sexy at the end of the day he knows he knows his stuff uh, but yeah no i literally to this day just seem so fucking mad that soldier even though the weird thing is it is an earworm and whenever i do watch especially the earlier seasons before they kind of countrify it a bit I, I do watch the uh, titles. I do sing it. Find myself singing along at the end of the day. So you know, it's uh, it worked. It worked at the end. Watson deserves all his royalties. <laughs> that have gotta be coming his way. But yeah, no. So it's been really awesome to uh, have you, mate, on the uh, show. You can find us at Spotlight Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the usual social medias. Obviously, we're available on uh, the majority of podcast platforms and you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast kind of platform you're using just give us the same amount of stars you'd obviously give to uh, Russell Watson's classic track uh, using have NFL <laughs> oh I'm no that sure might backfire be Liam no, no no five, five star classic oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah so that would be great okay, we'll be back uh, with another episode uh, soon focusing on some aspect of the Star Trek universe But until then, it's goodbye from me, Liam. Goodbye from my co-host,
2: Matt. Goodbye, everyone. And
0: goodbye from our guest, Cam. Thank you, sir.
2: Live long and prosper, guys. Bye-bye.
0: It's been a long road. Yeah, from there to
3: here. Five, six, seven, eight.